Please turn with me to Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. You can also follow along in your bulletin on page 7. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. I'm thankful to be able to come together as a church today to, to be able to worship, um, you know, even uh, as we were worshiping at the 9.30 service, you know, for me personally, I tend to forget um, just, just how nice it is to be able to come together as a church and as a community, uh, to be able to sing praise, to be able to hear God's word, and uh, be encouraged today um, as we look and as we continue in our sermon series on the book of Acts. We're going to look at Acts chapter 9, where uh, we're going to see a narrative and a story that many of us may have been familiar with before. Um, but today, my, my hope is that we can see really um, some details and some truths and some realities uh, that we can take with us uh, once we leave today. And so today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, the, the radical conversion story of, of Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, one of the most prominent New Testament writers and authors. And like any good movie, any good book, any good story, uh, we see a character development happen occur in the narrative. We see an arc, a character arc, where a character may be one way and something happens, a turning point in that character's life, and they're completely changed and transformed into somebody completely brand new. And here in Acts chapter 9, we're going to see that story with Saul. We're going to see Saul 
who is a Pharisee, who's religious, who's self-righteous, who's persecuting the church. And today we're going to look at three things from Acts chapter 9. One, we're going to look at the encounter with Jesus. We're going to look at the calling from Jesus. And we're going to look at the comfort of Jesus. So we're going to look at the encounter, the calling, and the comfort. First, the, the encounter with Jesus. Saul is on the road to Damascus. He's on his way to persecute the church, persecute Christians, and persecute Jesus. And on the road, he's met by the perfect presence and glory of God coming down from heaven right where he is. Now, who is Saul? Saul is a persecutor. He's a Pharisee. He is religious. He is self-righteous. For Saul, in his mind, in order to be accepted, in order to be righteous, in order to be approved of by God, he had to work for it. He had to earn it. He had to sacrifice. He had to give himself up in order to gain. But Saul was also talented. He was, he was very intelligent. He was educated. And because he was educated, we can assume that most likely he was wealthy. Because in order for, for anyone to get educated, they need resources. And so he probably had more than most. And Saul hears and witnesses the Christian movement coming down to Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And for Saul, when he heard about the good news of Jesus and the good news of grace and the good news of the gospel, it was not good news to him at all. Because Saul was religious, because he was self-righteous, because he worked in order to earn the good news of grace, the good news of the gift of salvation freely given to sinners, sinners who could not earn it, sinners who could not work for it, sinners who could not sacrifice for it, and God himself coming down, a king, someone with power and authority, coming down and humbling himself and dying on the cross for sinners was crazy to Saul. And so when the burst and the movement of the church exploded and expanded for Saul, this was the worst thing that could possibly happen. And so now, breathing out murderous threats, he's persecuting the church. He's arresting men and women of faith. And he's taking them into prison so that one day they can be put to death. And so Saul is on the road ready to persecute the church, ready to persecute Christians. And then all of a sudden, immediately, he's hit with the presence and the perfect glory of God. The all-consuming light, the bright light from heaven coming down to earth. And Saul is blinded by this light. At the same time, Saul falls to the ground, and everything that he knew about his life, his view of God, his view of himself, his view on the world was completely flipped upside down. Because you see, at the end of the day, Saul's religiosity was just a reflection of what he wanted God to be. For him, he didn't know the God of the Bible He didn't know the true and living God. He knew a God that would serve him. He created a God in his own image, a God that would be for his benefit, a God on his own terms. And so Saul, when he encounters Jesus, he looks and he says, who are you, Lord? He doesn't know he's in front of Jesus in this moment. He just knows he's in the presence of God. And Jesus responds to Saul. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, in Saul's mind, he's asking, who am I talking to? And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. 
Now, if Saul is persecuting the church, if he's ravaging the church, how is he persecuting Jesus? And the reality is that because us as believers, the church is in Christ and Christ is in us, that when Saul was persecuting the church, he was persecuting Jesus. Saul, out of his religious zeal and his moral obligation to be obedient, to be faithful in an outward sense, to carry on the traditions and practices of the Jewish tradition, the Old Testament traditions, ultimately led, it, led him and ended him up to be bitter, to be angry, to be resentful, all to the point that he was persecuting the church and persecuting Jesus. Now we have to think about it for a second. Saul, in his religiosity, he viewed God as a king who was powerful, who had authority, who was righteous and who was holy and who was just. God is powerful. God is perfectly righteous. God is perfectly holy, and he's perfectly just. He's not less than that. He's so much more. And Saul didn't know the other side of God. His view of God was very one-dimensional. Because God was holy, because he was righteous, because he was just, Saul did everything he could to earn his acceptance through God by becoming righteous, by becoming holy. Saul thought that he could earn acceptance and earn approval and earn love and recognition and status and power and authority because based off of what he can do for God, not what God had already done for him. And like Saul, we are religious. We continue to work and sacrifice and pour into those things that we think will get us accepted by God. We might not be explicitly thinking that, that I will do or become a good person so that I will be loved. But when you look at how you live your life, when you look at your careers, your relationships, your friends, your social circles, all that you're constantly consumed by and invested in, you're always trying to gain approval. You're always trying to be right. You're always trying to be known. You're trying to be seen. You're trying to be loved. You're trying to be appreciated. You're trying to be accepted. Religiosity always ends up leading us to be hopeless, to be joyless, because even though we constantly pursue these things, we're never satisfied. We're never content. We're never joyful. And in fact, it takes us even further. When we see people who are succeeding, when we see people who are striving and getting the things that we want and we're not getting it, we persecute them, we stone them. We kill their character. We gossip about them behind their backs. You say, I've worked, I've sacrificed, I put in the time and the investment, I deserve what I'm entitled to. Saul had a God became a product of his own desires. Everybody in his life became a product of his desires. What was Saul doing? Saul was objectifying God. Saul was objectifying the people in his life. They were just a means to a, what he thought was a necessary end. And yet, when he, when he runs into Jesus, he's discontent, he's angry, he's resentful, he has no joy. And then he's covered in the dark. He's blind. He's blinded by Jesus' perfect presence and perfect glory. Saul created an image of God that really served what he wanted and what his heart desires. And we do the same. 
We live our lives centered around the things that we want and the things that we feel we need. Today, we're in an uh, interesting moment in history, in, in American history. Um, you know, obviously what we deal with and what we're currently dealing with with the pandemic, you know, we'll never forget the older we get. But also at the same time, we're starting to see something what, um, what writers are calling the great resignation. And we're seeing a mass exodus from the workplace. We're seeing people who are discontent with their jobs and they're looking for something better. And researchers have interviewed and collected data from people who are changing jobs and leaving their workplaces. And some of the top reasons and excuses uh, for people to move jobs and change jobs is obviously one, being uh, more wealthy, getting paid more. Um, second would be to have more freedom and flexibility. You know, many of you work from home and uh, there are some of us who don't and we want that opportunity to, to have that flexibility to work from home. Many people are changing their jobs and changing careers so they can relocate to another city, sometimes even another country. They want to start over. And yet, even as this great resignation is happening, people are finding out more and more that they're changing career. The more money they make, wherever they relocate, they're still discontent. They're still not happy. Our heart's desires, our lives that are driven by what we want, the things that we're entitled to, the things that we're constantly pursuing, the things that make us feel good about ourselves, doesn't just come from our careers and our jobs. Think about your relationships, the people that you're connected to, the people that you're close with. Oftentimes, we choose who to be friends with, who to be close with, because we like the way that they make us feel. If we can get in with the right people, if we can get in with the right crowd, if we can get in with the people that are loved and respected, then I'll be loved, then I'll be respected. Furthermore, when you're challenged by the people surrounded you, by you, surrounding you, excuse me, when you're challenged by them, when you're confronted by them, when they call out your sin, when they try to address your character defects, what do you do? You get defensive. You self-justify. In fact, you turn around. You throw stones at them. You persecute them. You persecute their character. You condemn them. You judge them right back. Many of us are very sensitive to what people say to us, the critique, the challenges, sometimes the confrontation. And oftentimes when people are speaking truth to us, we're doing it in love. And yet we don't hear the love. What we actually hear is that we're not good, we're not worthy, we're not valued, we're not loved, you're not accepted, and that breaks you down. Our families, our families become just a reflection of our own image. Our future spouse, our spouse, our wives, our husbands, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, our children, they're just a reflection of who we are. If our spouse isn't loved and respected by those around us, then we won't be either. If our children are acting up, if they're bad, if they're constantly causing problems, that reflects my character. We're constantly making images and reflections of our hearts and desires, and we make people and the things in our lives what we want them to be. 
we're constantly chasing after the things that we want. When we see people who are winning, who are successful, we persecute them. And we take that mentality of our heart's desires here into church today. For some of us who are newer to church, many of us who have been new to church, people who continue to come to any church, really we go to a church and we say, we want this church to meet my needs. We want church and community based off of my terms, what I want. I want people to care for me in the ways that I know I need to be cared for. And when you're not cared for in the ways that you want, when church and community and mission doesn't happen on your terms, what do you do? You turn around and you persecute those people. You persecute the church. And as we see in the text, when you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting Jesus. Our heart's desires lead us to discontent, joylessness, anger, resentment, bitterness, and it leads us to persecute those who actually care for us. When Saul encounters Jesus, his whole worldview has been flipped upside down. He's been challenged by Jesus. He sees that he's in the presence of God, in his full presence and full glory, and he's come down as a consuming light And he finally realizes that it's the resurrected King Jesus, the Messiah, the true Messiah that that Saul was out persecuting. And so now his worldview, his understanding of himself, his understanding of God and the world is completely shattered. It's been completely flipped upside down. And because the bright light, the bright glory of God had came down, it consumed Paul. It consumed Saul. And he was covered in darkness. He was blind. He lost his sight. And Jesus told him to go into the city. So Saul, for three days, is traveling with no sight, completely covered in darkness. And he's not eating, he's not drinking, he's dissatisfied. He's not filled. And he's covered in darkness, alone, by himself. Although he had his companions with me, companions with him, although he had his friends around him, people that most likely respected him, that loved him, that appreciated him, that thought highly of him, Those people that he was surrounded by couldn't save him from the darkness. Saul's obedience, his religiosity, his talents, his gifts, his pedigree, his status as the Pharisee among Pharisee, a young man who was completely accomplished, nobody could really touch his pedigree in comparison to his peers. This man was now alone and in the dark, completely covered, and there was nothing that he could do to save himself. Friends, we have to come to realize that there's nothing in our lives, the things that we pursue, the things that we trust in, that will save us from darkness and save us when we're in the presence and glory of God. Saul is being completely transformed. His world is being rocked. He realized that he he believed in a bootleg God, a fraudulent God, a God that only served him, that never challenged him, that never came into his face and told him what he was doing was wrong. But now he was. And now in the encounter with Jesus, Saul isn't just adding and supplementing his life with Jesus. Jesus is becoming a substitute. And we have to realize that Jesus isn't just challenging Saul's behavior. He's challenging his belief. 
Second, we're going to look at the calling from Jesus. Saul is traveling to Damascus blind, can't see, he's not eating, he's not drinking, his life is a complete mess, and he's alone. And just like Saul, Jesus calls out to another. He, he, he appears to Ananias, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. And he says to Ananias, Ananias, go. Go to the house of Judas where a man from Tarsus named Saul is staying, and there he is praying. Saul had been completely rocked. His worldview is completely upside down, and now he's submitting. He's praying. He's surrendering. He's practicing dependence on God. And when Jesus tells Ananias to go to Saul, Ananias responds to to Jesus. He says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Ananias is trying to reason with God. He's sharing his fears. He's sharing his doubts. What he's really saying is, you want me to go to Saul? At this point, in this moment, everybody knew who Saul was. He was infamous. He knew, Christians knew, that they were in danger or at risk if Saul was in town. And Jesus is telling Ananias to go to him, to restore him, to lay his hands on him and give him back his sight. Ananias is fearful. He knows his life is at risk and in danger. And yet, again, Jesus tells tells him to go. But this time, Ananias gets up, he travels, and he goes to where God had called him to go. Ananias is scared, he's fearful, he has doubts, but at the same time, he understands grace. Paul viewed the world with lenses of the law and religiosity. Ananias viewed the world himself and God with the lenses of grace. Because Ananias knew that his relationship with Jesus, the salvation that he had from Jesus, the forgiveness that was given to him through Jesus was not something that he earned. He didn't work for it. He didn't sacrifice enough to get it. It was freely given to him. And because Ananias had the gift of grace, he was able to view God and view himself and view others realistically. And so when he, saw, when he saw Saul, when he looked at Saul, he saw somebody who wasn't deserving of grace just like him. Ananias knew that there was no reason that he had the acceptance and the approval and the righteousness of Jesus, and yet he had it. And so when he looked at Saul, he knew that Saul could have it too. Friends, this is an encouragement for us. This means that grace is afforded to anybody. This means that no matter where you've been, what you've done in your life, what you've done this week, when you have an encounter with Jesus, his grace, his love, his mercy, his salvation is for you. It doesn't matter how good you've been all your life or how bad you've been up to this point. Grace, forgiveness, mercy, salvation, redemption, intimacy, is for you. Saul was out persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting the church. And yet, when he runs into a personal encounter with Jesus, 
he knew that he didn't deserve it, and so did Ananias. This also means that God's calling to us and for us is risky. It's dangerous. Ananias knew that his life was in danger by him going to Saul. Ananias didn't want to go. Although he had the grace of God, although he had the relationship with God, there was still a part of him that did not want to go because he knew that his life was in danger. Friends, this tells us that when we feel like that we may be in danger, that our lives may be at risk by pursuing somebody, that we may be persecuted by somebody that God may be directing and calling us to love, we can do it with great courage and humility. Ananias had courage because he knew that God was with him. The king of the universe came down to be his servant and his savior. At the same time, he had the humility to go and do what he was called to do because he knew that there was nothing that he did to bring himself to be saved and forgiven by God. And so now, this reality allows us to go and pursue people and pursue things and places that may cost our life. We may lose the things that we love in order to go to the place that God has called us to. That means our careers may be affected. We might lose our jobs. That means we might lose our social status that we've worked so hard for. We see Jesus calling Ananias to go to Saul and that Saul is praying. Now, we have to pay attention here because Saul is praying, he's submitted, he's surrendering, and he's fully dependent on God. But I know even for me, the initial thought was, man, well, Saul is a Pharisee. That's what Pharisees do. That's what religious people do. But Saul wasn't praying out of religious zeal or moral obligation. He didn't go to the synagogue to, to show his prayer on public display. He was in a house. He was in a private moment. His prayer wasn't a prayer out of moral obligation, but it was out of surrender, submission, and dependence to God. And he's weak, he's humbled. And Ananias tells, or Jesus tells Ananias to go to Saul. Go to the weak, go to the humbled. We're drawn and attracted to people with gifts, with talents, status and pedigree. We're, we're attracted to them, we're drawn to them, we're constantly pursuing them because we think that their status, their pedigree, their talents and their gifts, we can adopt just by being close to them, being in close proximity of them. But God isn't calling you to those who are flexing their strength, who are proud. He's calling you to those who are weak, those who are humble, those who need God's grace. Finally, we're going to look at the comfort of Jesus. Ananias goes to Saul, and when he arrives to Saul, he lays his hand on him, and he calls him brother. He embraces and he comforts Saul while Saul is in all of his darkness, while he's blind, while he's not filled and lacking sustenance. He not only cares for Saul and comforts Saul and embraces Saul, he calls him brother. It's a term of intimacy. Saul went from the persecutor of the church 
to being a brother of Ananias. Not only that, Ananias restores Saul's sight. He restores his blindness. And Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gets up, he gets baptized, and then he eats and he drinks. He's filled, he's satisfied. In a physical sense, but also a spiritual one. Look at the comfort Saul is receiving from the embrace of Ananias. We have to understand that because Ananias is a follower of Jesus, he is in Christ, and Christ is in him. So when Ananias went to Saul to comfort Saul, Jesus went to go to Saul and comfort him as well. He embraces Saul. And when Jesus called Ananias to go to Saul, what did Jesus say? He said, go, for Saul is praying. Saul is surrendering. Saul is being submissive and dependent on God himself, the very God that he was out persecuting in the beginning of this chapter. We have to understand that these things that we are pursuing in our lives, the desires of our hearts, will always leave us unsatisfied and discontent. And the more that we pour into these things, the more we give ourselves into these things, our energy, our investment, our love, and our intimacy with those things, we're completely left empty, dry, and in the dark. Unsatisfied, discontent, and angry at the world. Angry with God. And so Saul here is being comforted by Jesus. He's being comforted by the warmth and the embrace and the welcome and the restoring power of Jesus himself. You see, Saul valued power. He valued pedigree. He valued status. He valued righteousness. He valued his status among the world. And he came, he came to persecute the church, to persecute those who were, he viewed as weak and unworthy. But we have to realize that Jesus embraces us and comforts us as someone who had all the authority, all the power, the perfect status, the perfect righteousness coming down from heaven to earth and dying on a cross for us, those who are weak and unworthy. Jesus came down as the perfect presence and glory. He came down as the perfect light of the world, the consuming light now coming down to fill the darkness of the world. And on the cross, he experienced complete darkness. He's covered by darkness. He's, he's now completely lost his access to God the Father. And now he's given up his glory. And now he lost the presence of God. And now he's alone, dying on a cross for you. The one who was perfectly righteous, the one who was perfectly holy, perfectly just, took on the punishment and wrath of sinners so that he could demonstrate God's grace, his love, his mercy to you. This is how we're comforted in our darkness. When we have a personal encounter with Jesus, we're having a personal encounter with the cross. Forgiveness is for you. Grace is for you. It's by Jesus' submission, his surrender, his sacrifice, his cross, at the cross, Jesus gave up his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection, his, his glory, his presence. All of that was given up for you. He was cut off from the Father. The one that he desired, his ultimate desire, was now given up so that you would have access and be adopted as sons. Saul viewed God as a boss and as a king, someone who was impersonal. But now, because of Jesus, Saul had a father who loved him, 
who cared for him, who was intimate with him. How does a persecutor of the church, a persecutor of God, become someone who proclaims Jesus, encourage the church? In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, But whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Everything that Saul trusted in, that he stood on, that he valued, that he loved, now became worthless. But it's because he had something far greater, something more rich, something far more personal. Friends, will you have a personal encounter with Jesus? No matter where you've been, no matter where you are today, knowing that he offers forgiveness for you, he saved you, he loves you. A personal encounter with Jesus challenges our worldview. We aren't just challenged by our behavior, we're challenged in our belief. Now, when we have a personal encounter with Jesus, we have a new core and a new center. This means that our arrogance can be humbled and turned into confidence. Our anxieties and our fears will actually become humility. And we'll have courage and humility to go out on mission for God and not mission for ourselves. And we're able to practice sacrifice knowing that we're going to experience suffering and hardship and sometimes even persecution because we have somebody who's far greater than the things that we want and he takes on ultimate suffering, ultimate persecution for your sake. Let's pray.